Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 34. By now you'll have discerned that I love restrictions. They're not the whole of creative writing, but I think the reason I go in for them so hard is they're often neglected when people teach fiction, hark at me. The maverick changing the game. Like, I think a lot of people, a lot of teachers, when they think about restrictions, constraints, kind of like Olympian forms, they think of them as rather silly, self-indulgent sideshows. Something for the poets, perhaps, but not for us serious novelists. We're interested in character, substance and big themes. Style is like the chocolate sprinkles on top of the cake. Nice, but superficial. Well, I think style is more than that, and I think style is incredibly fun. And I think when we play with style, we learn what we really want to be writing about. Part of the big project of fiction, in my not especially humble but certainly fallible opinion, is defamiliarisation. Taking what we think we know and showing it to ourselves fresh. Shocking us awake, helping us remember what's important, helping us to feel. Of course, that's not the only thing stories can do. It's not always why I come to a story, nor always why I write them. But it unlocks and enhances so much of creative writing that I really do think this is an area worth your while, worth some serious training. Hence my getting you to return to your scene with two people meeting again and again, morphing it in new ways. The content doesn't really matter. That's just a set of variables that we can move around It's about what we talked about right at the start, intersubjectivity and new ways of seeing. So today we're going to push your little encounter, your meeting, even further. This will probably sound a bit whimsical or bananas. I realise I'm being rather defensive today. (laughs) That's fine. It's not that I don't have faith in my material. I just want you to know that I'm aware of how some of this comes across. But I'd ask you to, you know, please bear with me. I'm not doing this to be a sort of capering puppeteer getting you to do arbitrary, pointless nonsense, I promise. Certainly not deliberately, anyway. This is probably, I imagine, the most challenging of the translations we've done so far. But in many ways, I think it's the most important because the purpose is to make you exquisitely aware of your word choices at the molecular level. Today, you're going to take that original scene and I'd like you to attempt to translate it into a version that doesn't use any nouns. That includes pronouns and proper nouns. If you are panicking now and thinking, Tim, I have no idea what a noun is, don't worry, the literature police aren't going to come rappelling through your skylight and swat you for crimes against grammar. There's no reason why you should know what a noun is. Uh, We're not snobs here. It's not mandatory to to write. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of nonsense talked about what you should and shouldn't know, what technical terms and jargon around writing you should and shouldn't know. Don't let any of that bother you. If you know what a noun is, well done you. Have a smarty and go to the top of the class. Um, Just, you know, accept that not everybody knows that. So quick recap, just to make sure we're all on the bus. A noun is a thing or object or concept like table, dog, wind, frustration, love. So they can be concrete, you know, things you can touch, feel, smell. And they can also be ideas. Like the word idea is a noun. So a pronoun is words is a word like he, her, them, it, his. Words like that. And, and, and a proper noun is usually a name like Terry or France or Tesco. You know, something that usually starts with a, a capital letter. So you're going to rewrite the scene, your scene, using none of those. What you'll end up with won't sound like normal prose. You can still have verbs, standing, breathing, watching, shone, trembled, sneezes. 
You can have adjectives, yellow, angry, fierce, shrunken, elderly. You can have adverbs which describe how someone does something, quickly, hungrily, noisily, cautiously. You just can't have all the subjects and objects those words are talking about. You can't name characters or the objects in their environment, only suggest them and what they're doing. So don't expect what comes out to entirely make sense, you know, like, but what I'm asking is, can you see, given this, you know, on some level impossible task, you can't translate the scene as it was with no nouns, but have a look, see, can you capture a mood just the same? Can you give us some lush sensory detail, some impressionistic flashes? This exercise might be easier if you pick a particular character's viewpoint to experience the scene through. All I would say to you is, before you have a go at today's, you know, just face up to the fact now you cannot win this one. Don't cling on to making it perfect. Embrace the weirdness and see how closely you can map the arc of this encounter. So... No nouns, no no objects, people, names, concepts, but everything else is in play. Let's see how you get on. Right. Are you ready? Your 10 minutes starts now.
And, and that's it. How did that turn out for you? If you get the chance, do look back over this piece later. I, I realise depending on how the first version of this scene came out, these past few days may have been particularly tricky for you. Um, if that's the case, you might like to take this moment to congratulate yourself for persisting. Nonetheless, you're still here. It wasn't easy. You still turned up. Well done. And uh, thank you very much for that. Doing this exercise in particular, you've probably come out with writing very different to your normal style, very different to the exercise, certainly where you are limited to just one syllable. What does the no nouns method bring out in your writing? What types of human experience do you feel like it does particularly well? There may be certain things that it's still delivered on and in fact made sort of more lush and more intense. And, you know, are there any moments that maybe the one syllable style, for example, or one of the other perspectives that we've tried works better for? You know, I think it could be really useful to look at the strengths and weaknesses of all these very extreme versions. Because, look, you can adopt any one of these moves, these styles, these restrictions for just a sentence, for just a clause in a sentence in your everyday writing. If you want a sudden impressionistic flash or maybe a, a more powerful, slow storytelling mode with a bit of distance. What I'm trying to clue you onto is that you're at liberty to code switch into a number of registers, each of which can just punch up your writing and underline the sort of tone you're going for. And you'd be surprised actually how readers don't notice this kind of thing. They just notice the effect it has. They won't go, oh, look, there's suddenly no nouns or, oh, why is everything suddenly gone into single syllables? They won't spot it. They just they just receive the effect. Sometimes you might want to even, you know, try deliberately writing a moment using a style orthogonal to or even diametrically opposed to the tone of the or the emotion of the scene. You know, you use a style that is particularly ill suited to the tone of what's actually happening. That could be an interesting effect, right? You can write very dramatic emotional exchanges in quite flat, paired-back language with, with, with no adjectives and very, very simple one-syllable verbs where the stark bare-bonesness of the language makes the drama of what is being described stick up more. You kind of get out of the way of the story a little bit. Or... You can pull down all the lush lyrical complexity uh, and you, you, you can use it to describe something very pedestrian or simple. This tiny little moment, mundane moment in a human life, you know, like a, a rundown bus shelter or a hawthorn bush. And you can actively slow down time as you plunge into this kind of frozen moment. These are all moves that you can experiment with. What I'm kind of saying to you is you don't actually have to know the effect you're going for in advance you can be a bit of a mad scientist you can ask about sometimes you just load one of these ideas into the hopper and point the big bazooka of your inspiration at an object and pull the trigger and see what happens you know i think the willingness to piss about in service of serendipity is one of the most useful and fruitful attitudes you can bring to your writing. It's fun. It's very low stress, right? Most of the time you do it, it's going to not work or it's not going to produce what you wanted. It might produce. Don't be afraid. Don't be so sure of what you want 
that you don't let go of it for something better, I think is one of the lessons for this as well. You know, sometimes you will stumble across something original and interesting that you could not have predicted. Remember, to create is to bring something into being that didn't exist before. Originality registers in your mind as a category error, a mistake. These two things, they don't go together. They don't fit together. What? That's wrong. Well, they didn't until now. That's what we pay you for, oh writer. Right. Excellent, excellent, excellent work, my dear warrior, my dear farmer. Rest that vexed brain of yours. Let your subconscious process and codify all this new knowledge in some funky, funky dreams. I suspect your sleep tonight will be deeply weird. Um, Gosh, I feel like we really turned a corner today. Very, very proud of you and I'll see you tomorrow. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.